I have two announcements before we start. The first one is this. Uh, baptisms have kind of snuck up on us. Uh, they're only like eight weeks away. If you have thought about... What? Oh. I'm like, I'm being a heckle in the front row. What am I doing? Um, so if you wanted to get baptized, you've, you've thought about it, uh, sign up in the back. We'll get a hold of you. We'll do a couple of classes. It's only about 15 minutes long, and we'll talk about what it looks like. But it's on Labor Day weekend, so again, like eight weeks away. So it's coming up. Uh, and this is the good one. I mean, they're all good. But, I mean, this is the one where we have, like, uh, tri-tip and bread at it. So the older you get, the harder it is to get that out. But they got pills for that, so it's okay. So, so if you... If you've been thinking about getting baptized, you'd like to get baptized, uh, please sign up in the back. We'll get a hold of you. Get all the information you need. It'll be great. It's a, it's a great day. We all get together, have a great big fun party. Uh, in the midst of it, we, we dunk you. It's, it's awesome. So you should come to that. Also, uh, the, the youth group is leading for camp this week. So we'd appreciate it if, if you take a few moments this week and you actually pray like you have a daily quiet time or you're driving somewhere instead of being irritated how the guy drives in front of you. Pray for the kids going to camp, uh, the junior high and high schoolers. I think that when we keep the future uh, generation in mind, it kind of helps us in how we live our lives. So uh, pray for them this week uh, while they're at camp. They would totally appreciate it. Uh, if you are new, welcome to Element. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. And on the front cover of the communion tables, they have these this uh, artwork that's a, that's a coloring book cutout. Uh, I got to tell you, a few of these, a Saban actually did for us. Uh, so, you know, sometimes, like, all these right here, he actually did. So, yeah, yeah. He also does tattooing on the side, so. <laughs> anyway, if you open up the sermon notes, on the inside, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of notes as well as some questions to go deeper in what we talk about. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Version, And in Version, you click on Live. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You get sermon notes, verses, questions, and actually even some of the announcements as well, all that goes along with this. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me, reading God's Word. This is Judges chapter 13, verse 24. And it says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us as a people what it means to understand, first and foremost, your faithfulness. Uh, that we would trust you as a God who has come to rescue and redeem and save a people who are faithless on our own. And that you would lead us into the people that you are calling us to be. Uh, so teach us this morning to understand better who you are by reading your words and have your spirit move deep. Deep within us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series about heroes in the Bible. We're calling it Coloring Book All-Stars. Uh, these are the people you'd seen in, like, Bible coloring books, if you had them growing up, uh, comic strips, even cartoons. Like, Hanna-Barbera did some of these great Bible cartoons, like, you know, like the Flintstones. Yeah, but ever do. He actually made Bible cartoons, and they're awesome. They're not like the ones today where it's like nobody gets hurt. It's like, it's like people are getting stabbed, and there's blood. It's sweet, okay? It's sweet. All the ones that little boys love to watch, yeah! And then they go, and they try and stab you, and it's not so cool, but whatever. Anyway, um, the, these are all the people we're looking at, the ones that we have lifted up in our lives like near perfection. And, and it's strange how many times Christians respond to their heroes in the Bible when you expose them as just normal, messed up people, just like we are. Today really is a head-scratcher for me, because today we're going to talk about Michael Bolton. I mean, Sam, I mean Samson. 
That went okay in all three services, by the way. I just want you to know. All right, that, that, that was good. Uh, the, you know, when you hear about Samson, I didn't become a Christian when I was 17. I didn't go to church when I was a kid, but I still knew these stories. I still heard about Samson and his great strength, how the Spirit of God rested on him. But when you look at the account of his life, you're like, why in the world would God do that? It doesn't add up. So if I do get boring today, you can color on the front of those sermon notes and you can judge and see what you got here. This one right here, this is, this is Bloom. She's eight years old. That's what she did. Nice, right? Okay, th- this is Peyton. She's 11. Okay, this, she, and up here over in the corner, she goes above and beyond because she actually drew a lion up there. Ah, see, see, creative, thinking outside the lines. She's a pretty overachiever. Okay, you don't want to sit next to her on, when they grade on the curve because it's not going to be good. All right. Okay, now we're talking about Samson. Samson is a terrible, terrible guy. And yet the Bible keeps saying the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. And you got to think, how does that even work? The Spirit of God rests upon him. A lot of people have been troubled in their faith in their book of Judges when they read this because we think the Bible condones Samson's actions. I used to have a lot of questions about this. You know, why does God let his spirit rest upon that guy? And this is one of the problems with modern day Christianity is we think people have to be good enough for God's spirit to be with us. Like it's something that we do. I'll tell you this. It's because it's because God is good that the spirit rests upon us. Not because we're so good that eventually we get the right for God's spirit to be upon us. It's all about grace. We all do not deserve God's spirit. And yet God, by grace, gives it to us. So before you judge God, Samson, or the Bible, you've got to understand your own need for redemption in the midst of the story. But that's where I'm going to end. Okay, so I'm not going to steal my own thunder right now, just a little bit, but, but whatever. Right, we're going to look at the Bible and Samson and his faith. We'll open to Judges chapter 13. If you have an element Bible, that's page 137. You are welcome. Uh, this is going to be a message, and we're going to break it into eight different parts. And so we're going to have some time shifts and jumps. So just jump along with me. You're okay. You're big boys. You can handle it. Okay. Uh, the story of Samson covers four chapters with a little postscript at the end. So part one is the birth of Samson, Judges 13. Judges 13, starting in verse 2, says this. There's a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, and that's very important later, the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children. And she said, Thanks, I knew that. Perfect. Okay. But you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. And Nazarite translates as dedicated to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So that's Samson's beginning. Uh, Samson's name in Hebrew is the word Shimshon, and it means light or light bringer. So the instructions his mom gets have two different things in it. First off is job description. He's going to begin to save Israel. He's in the time of the judges, so he is going to be a judge. Part of that is he is supposed to take his people, these Danites, and move them into the promised area where God wanted them to be. He's the one that's supposed to lead them into the place where the Philistines are and kind of do that. Now, uh, last week we looked at the Philistines, and we saw that they're a very strong people group. They come from the Aegean Sea. They had a navy. They had chariots. They had a centralized culture. Uh, they enter the promised land about the same times that God's people enters into the promised land. Again, God's people are in the time of the judges, so they have no centralized government to speak of. So the Philistines probably look at the Israelites, and they probably see a bunch of backwater hillbillies running around the woods naked, making moonshine, marrying their cousins, saying y'all a lot. Okay, that's how they probably view 
the Israelites. And so Samson fits between Moses and the kings of Israel. That's kind of where his timing fits. Now, the word for Palestine today that I mentioned last week, the word Palestine it actually comes from the word Philistine. The second thing his mom gets is he's supposed to not ever cut Samson's hair. He's supposed to be a Nazarite from the womb. So he is born into this Nazarite thing. You don't cut your hair. You don't drink wine. Uh, number six, if you ever want to read through it, tells you a lot about this Nazarite vow. We're not sure exactly all that it entailed, but this is a vow you could make for a time to dedicate yourself to God. The vow could be a week, a month, a year, a couple years. You would take this on yourself and commit yourself to God as a physical representation of saying, God, I am going to worship you every single day. And so you wouldn't have wine. You wouldn't drink grape juice. You wouldn't eat grapes or skins or seeds of grapes or vinegar made from grapes. So it's not just an alcohol thing. It's anything that has to do with the vine you stay away from. Also, you have no contact with anything unclean. So you have to eat kosher. You can't touch dead things or or dead animals. No contacts with a dead body. Uh, Number six, verse seven, even goes so far as to say, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister, if they die, shall he make himself unclean. So if your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister die while you have this vow, you cannot attend to the body because it would make you unclean. As I said, you can't cut the hair on your head, but the hair on your head is not just up here. It's everything on your head. So you don't cut your beard. When you get older, your nose hairs go crazy. You can't cut those. Uh, as you get older, your ear hair like it falls off your head and grows out your ears. We don't know why. It just starts to happen. Right? Can't do anything about that. Your eyebrows look like Albert Einstein because you can't take care of those. It's, it's nothing on your head. They say it even went so far as to go down and cover your armpits. So if you take this vow, you're going to be like those ungodly French women who never shave their pits. Oh, I said that. I'm sorry. Okay, so I'm just kidding. If you're French, I'm sorry. Just a great way to make a joke. So anyway, uh, so if you're a Nazarite, you look frightening. Okay, you you just like, okay, you you just look frightening. And if you break the vow, you have to shave your head and you start over from the very beginning. So imagine you say, I'm going to take this vow for a year, 365 days. On day 364, if you're sitting next to someone, say like Betty White, and she kills over, she's going to die this week. Watch, and then we're like, ah, whatever. Okay, she kills over, she dies, she falls on you. You then become unclean. You have to shave your head and start over. So this vow is really serious. You can't be like, oh, I was close enough. I was 364 or 365. No. you got to actually shave your head and you have to start over. It's very serious. Samson is dedicated like this from birth. That's where he's dedicated from. And it's really important to understand this in terms of his story. John the Baptizer, who we looked at a couple weeks ago, was also dedicated like this from his birth. That's part one. Okay, part two is the first information you get about Samson. Go to Judges 14. And we're starting verse 1. Again, don't forget, he's called the light bringer. Okay, Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. That is a new approach to Dayton right there, right? (laughs) Mom, I like that one. Can you go get her for me? Okay. Now, Samson dedicated to God, okay, because the angel showed up, his mom probably thought, I got to do everything this kid says, no, no, you got, if you see your kids as a gift from God, great, you're still the parent, you're not their buddy, sometimes a little pop on the button, the shut up, you don't need that woman, goes a long way, okay, verse three, but his father said to him, his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you could go and take a wife, that you would go 
that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. When you read uncircumcised, you have to read the word unclean into that, okay? Unclean, that's how they saw it. Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. He is just one of those kids. You get to know a little bit about him. Again, Samson, dedicated to God, the angel shows up, and his parents are like, oh, whatever he wants to do, we'll, we'll just do that. This is, this is a horrible way to parent your kids. A horrible way to parent your kids. When he's dedicated to God, it doesn't mean he is always right, and it doesn't mean he always speaks for God. It's like today, you have some of these churches and you've got like this pastor who says, God told me I'm not supposed to fly coach and you guys need to buy me a $65 million airplane. And people do it. It's like, what? Some of these pastors, oh, I'm speaking for God. And God says, you get one wife, but I get 20, including yours. And people do it. It's like, what are you thinking? And people look at Christianity and they go, oh, these people are really stupid. Don't blame God for dumb people. Golly, that's my soapbox. Okay, all comes out of Samson. Okay, verse five. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. What is Samson not supposed to go near? Vineyards, the vine. Okay, so now there's a subtle hint of what's going on. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Like you do. I'm glad they didn't explain it because we all know what that's like, right? But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. I'm like, why? What? If I did, I would tell all of you. Man, I was going to tear a goat, but oh my goodness, I saw a lion and I thought, why not? I'll do the lion instead. No, he doesn't tell his parents because it was a dead animal, a dead carcass it came into contact with. That's why he doesn't tell him it's unclean. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Why? It's unclean. He is breaking his vow. That's what it's telling you. He's not supposed to come into contact with an unclean or dead animal or a dead anything whatsoever. Now, honey itself, honey is kosher. Okay, So you can eat all the honey you want. I think honey is amazing. It's it's great stuff. But it is inside an impure, unclean, dead carcass of a non-kosher animal. What What the text is subtly telling you here is that God's spirit is good and it's clean when it comes on Samson. But Samson himself is an unclean vessel. Okay, so he is a teenager, he's pushing all the rules and he's breaking them. This light bringer starts to walk in line with darkness and he leads his parents to also break their vows to God without even knowing it because he gives them something unclean. We, what we would say in this looking at that is what type of light is Samson bringing? That's the question. Okay, part three is the wedding. So now he goes to marry this girl, uh, Samson, you know, Follows through. I guess that's, that's a good thing on this. But in the middle of this wedding feast, which lasts seven days, you know, he's hopped up on hormones. All the other guys have to toss around that from the Philistines, and they're hopped up on hormones. So you know, a little thing is just going to brew between these two. So they want to give riddles to one another. Uh, chapter fourteen, verse twelve. Solomon gives them a riddle. He says, "Now let me now, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can uh, if you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes." Apparently, 
they needed that back then. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, we know what that is. That's, that's the lion. But they don't know that. Samson's the only one. It's like an inside thing for him, so they're never going to figure it out. So they start trying to solve this riddle. They can't get it, so they put pressure on Samson's bride. And they say, and they say if you don't tell us what this is, we're going to kill you and your family. So she puts pressure on Samson. And Samson finally tells her. She tells them. And they tell him. And Samson's really angry because he is a spoiled little brat. So he is furious about this. And what he does is the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He goes to a Philistine city. He kills 30 people. He takes their garments. He goes back to the wedding and says, here's your garments. That's how it works. Are the people of that city that he just killed 30 people unhappy about that? No, these things don't just happen, okay? There's something going on here. He kills 30 people. Now, part four is the after the wedding blues, okay? Uh, Judges chapter 15, if you want to go there. Verse one says, after some days at the time of the wheat harvest. So this is now a couple months after the wedding. And it seems like what has happened is Solomon is, or Solomon, Samson is so irritated with his bride that he has not talked to her. He's given her the cold shoulder for a couple months. He has not been over to see her or do anything. So he's just like, I'll teach you. I'll ignore you. So glad people who are married today no longer do that. <laughs> Silence is not a weapon. Sex is not a weapon, people. Okay. And you learn all this out of Samson's story. It's so good. At the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Maybe he's going to tear it in front of her. I don't know. Look, honey. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Think about getting like a fake goat. Tonight my wife comes home from work and I'll be like, hey, honey. Whatever. And he, and he said, I will go into, uh, into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Okay? Yeah. Now, now, again, the whole red wedding incident, right, that just took place here. No? Okay. You know, so, so, so he, this guy's like, you've been gone for a couple months. I haven't seen you. And I don't want my daughter to have to come a prostitute, so I gave her to your companion as a wife so that... Okay, so that, that's what happens. And he says, is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So it shows you his motivation. He goes after these people. Okay, verse 4. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes. <laughs> Probably took a bit, okay, because foxes are hard to catch. And took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stat grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. So Samson, supposed to be the bringer of light, now uses fire to destroy all their livelihood. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. So glad we don't live in that culture, right? Right? It seems like this is serious, like all this anger is starting to be misplaced in various different places. This is the woman who, saw, who Samson said, that's my bride, that's the one I want, that's the one I have to have, i got to marry her. And now you see his life completely unraveling. And it seems to begin with love placed in the wrong spot, a little bit of honey where he should not have been that he kept hidden. Sounds a lot like our lives. Now he has caused all sorts of destructions and things do not appear to be getting better. Okay, so we're going to go to part five. And part five, Samson runs away because the Philistines are after him. The Philistines then go to the Danites, the Israelites in that area, and they say, you better give us Samson or we're going to kill all of you. And they go, we don't know where he is. Well, you better find him. And they go, oh, 
okay. So they go out and they actually find Samson. Samson gives himself into his people's hands. They bind his arms with ropes and they go and give Samson then to the Philistines. As he's handed over to the Philistines, the Spirit of God comes upon him. Judges 15, verse 15. 1515, it says, And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. Then, and Samson said in song, because he's a poet, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a thousand men. Reads much better in the King James, by the way. <laughs> so he is strong, he is a warrior, you know, but how does it go about it? He grabs the fresh jawbone of a donkey. Is that clean or unclean? Unclean, exactly, exactly. He is strong, he is mighty, but he's doing it all the wrong way. It's not that God doesn't want to liberate his people. It's not that God doesn't want to use Samson. It's that Samson just keeps reacting and doing everything the way he wants to do it rather than listening to God. He keeps doing it the unclean way. Part 6 goes to Gaza, go to Judges 16. He's motoring through this thing. Judges 16, verse 1 says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. That is not a euphemism. That is literally what happened right there, okay? Prostitute, clean or unclean? Unclean. Okay. <laughs> shows, shows the full meltdown of his life, okay? It's the full meltdown of his life because what happens in Gaza doesn't stay in Gaza. It gets written down in the Bible, and we all read it, and we talk about it. <laughs> now, the, the, the Gazaites, that, that's what I call them. I don't know what they call themselves, but that's what I call them. The Gazaites, they also want to kill Samson because they are closely aligned with the Philistines. And so they go to get him when he's there, but Samson sneaks out in the middle of the night. And as he does, he grabs the door the doorposts of the gates of the city. He rips them off and takes them back to Hebron into Israel. Look what I brought. I got, I don't know. I don't know what you do with those. I thought I'd keep it as a keepsake. I don't know. That's it. Part 7, uh, Judges 16, verses 4 and 5, is Delilah. And this is a story most people hear, Samson and Delilah. It says, after this, uh, verse 4 of chapter 16, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. Sorek means vine. Okay? That's all coming together. Whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Samson is always falling for foreign women. It happens again. She's also probably a Philistine. And there's a little pun in Hebrew with Samson and Delilah. Samson is named, it's light or light bringer. Delilah is an Akkadian word. It means worship or praise. But the word for dark or night in Hebrew is Lila. So there's a little thing going on. It sounds like the night. So this is Samson's life, day versus night. So Delilah puts pressure on Samson. Tell me the secret of your strength. You've got to tell me where it is. So he lies to her three times. You should really read the story. It's, it's funny and it's, and it's kind of cool. But anyway, read the thing. I don't have time today. But So please tell me. Samson is very creative. He lies to her three times. And after the third time, uh, chapter 16, verse 15, and she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Ooh, manipulation. Right? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard, i.e. nagging, with her words day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Not that anybody in here who is married with a spouse would ever know what that's like. I mean, doesn't it sound like our... Okay, whatever. Verse 17. I'm the one that nags, not her. Verse 17. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite, again, dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Samson believes there is a connection between the hair on his head and his strength. Is that true? No, it's not. 
It's not. Because every time you read the story, the Spirit of God comes upon him, and that is where he gets his strength. The Nazarite vow has nothing to do with strength. It's all about dedication to the Lord. I mean, this is the thing. The long hair is meant to be a symbol of the connection with God. It's kind of like when we come in here and you take communion. Communion is not magical. It's a symbol of our connection of what Jesus has done. That's why you break the cracker like his body was broken. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us that Jesus died the death that we all should have died. He lived the life that we all should have lived. He gives us new life and pays for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God again. That's communion. It's, it's why we, like, baptism. Baptism is a symbol. It's a reminder that, that Jesus died, he was buried and rose from the grave, and we identify with that publicly. It's a symbol. And some people wear crosses. There's nothing magical about a cross. It's a symbol of what you believe. For Samson, that's his hair. And it seems for Samson, that's the only connection with God that he still has in his life that he even recognizes at all. Everything else he has violated, but he hasn't cut his hair or his beard. It's like people who live like hell all week long and come into church on a Sunday morning and I make some joke that kind of pushes social boundaries. I do it a lot. I know, I'm sorry. But, you know, just, just, just a little bit. And they're outraged because this room is holy. This room is not holy. Jesus is holy. When you follow Jesus, his spirit comes into you, takes up residence in you, and you become holy. That is what the, the scriptures tell us. That is where the holiness lies. Unfortunately for Samson, all that he gets is, oh, it's my hair. Oh, I've got to keep my hair. He never understands the heart change that's supposed to go along with that hair. His life is completely incongruous. Okay? Uh, verse 18 of chapter 16, When Delia saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks on his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, and she said The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as, as at other times and shake myself free. But he did did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, the things that bring light into our bodies, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. Samson's story is a tragedy. That's what it is. Samson, the light bringer, he is now blind. He has nothing to bring light into his body anymore. His head is shaved. He's captured by his enemies. But there's an interesting thing that happens in verse 22. The writer says, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, according to number six, the Nazarite vow, when you violate the Nazarite vow, what do you do? Start over. How do you do that? Shave your head. Shave your head and start over. See, it's, what it's telling you is that there is hope. Your life is not meant to be lived in your failures. It's meant to be lived in the hope that God brings into our lives. Any Hebrew reading or hearing this story would know what's happening. His head has been shaved. Samson is going to get a do-over. So you get to verse 28. There's a party. The Philistines are worshiping their god, Dagon. So it's probably in the temple of some sort there. They bring Samson out to entertain them, probably by making fun of God or Samson or, or both. Samson stands against these two pillars that hold up the house. His hair is coming back. His beard is growing out, and he prays. Verse 28, Samson called to the Lord and said... O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God. And it'd be great if he stopped right there. But he doesn't, because he's a total tool. Okay? (laughs) That I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Okay? Even here, even in this place, 
He is still not learning. He still has all these issues. And Samson grasped the two metal pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Those are just the facts. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ishtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. So in the end, you have Samson, who's supposed to bring the, the light bringer, the, the, the fire, and he dies in a pagan temple, buried in the rubble along with his enemies. Robert Alter says about Samson, he is a blind, uncontrolled force, leaving a path of destruction, which culminated with him finally destroying himself. Uh, he is an Amy Winehouse. He is a Heath Ledger. He is a Jim Morrison. Uh, where it ends with the destruction of their own life. So is Samson a coloring book all-star? Is Samson a good guy or a bad guy? Where, where do you put him? I think a couple things you've got to understand is when you read the scriptures, you just got 20-plus years and 20 minutes. So there's all kinds of things in his life you never get to read about. You just get these most dramatic moments. The scriptures, though, always have a larger narrative in mind. So there's a little, kind of a little PS at the end of the story, uh, which is part 8. Go to Judges chapter 18. And you look what kind of legacy Samson left, okay? Judges 18, verse 1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So, what tribe is Samson from? Dan's where we started, okay? He's a Danite. That, that's so you reading part of their story when you read Samson's story. They've been in the promised land now generations, and they haven't settled into the cities that they have been given. Why? The Philistines are in there. Samson comes along, and he's supposed to lead his people into that promised land to what God was calling them to inherit. How successful was Samson at leading and judging his people? Not very good at all, okay? Not very good. You know, uh, so what happens after this is the Danites decide to leave their territory. They go up to the mountains about 50 miles away to a city called Laish. Uh, verse 27, chapter 18. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him. So there's this... You should read this sometime. It's really interesting. Uh, chapter 17, part of chapter 18, there's this guy. He goes and lives in the mountains. He decides he's going to worship God his own way, so he makes a little altar. He, he gets a priest of his own that, that says, hey, you know, just do what I tell you to do and be my priest. Then it's, it's a mess, okay? It's, it's a mess. Anyway, so, so this guy, they go through and they see this and these idols and these false priests, and they go, we're going to take these. And they take them as their god and, and their priests. Okay? And they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting. This means that they're at peace. And struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. So they're a bunch of bullies. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. And they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rob. Uh, then they built, rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image, that idol that they stole for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, not actually... Moses told him, anyway. Uh, and his sons were the priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of captivity of the land, which is 734 B.C. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Okay? So they have this false, false idol, false priest doing all these false things. What the writer is telling you is the next generation after Samson that these Danites have no place to live. So they go north, they attack a peaceful people, they burn the place to the ground, they end up worshiping an idol until they are destroyed. Again, goes back to the question, how successful was Samson as a leader? He was horrible, 
horrible because he only focused on himself. So what do we do with this in the story of Samson? Uh, I, I think that when you read the scriptures, you've got to understand a few things. And I, and I think I say this a lot. But there are many parts in the Bible that are descriptive and many parts that are prescriptive. Descriptive tells you what happened. Prescriptive tells you what to do. Samson's life is descriptive. It's not telling you, go and live like this. Find a jawbone, rip a goat. You know, that's, that's not what it's telling you. It's describing his life. But it also describes the goodness of God. I'll give you the two ways that I think this kind of makes sense to us. First off, how the scriptures see things is usually different than how we see things. Okay, completely different, especially in regard to sin. When we think about sin, we think it's about between us and God and our conscience, and that's it. We say things like, how you live your life is up to you. That's what we say. But the Bible has no such perspective. The Bible sees sin as generational and affecting the entire community around us. When Samson dips his hand into the lion's mouth and takes the honey, that is not just about Samson and the honey and the lion. It goes to his parents and goes to all of his people. When Samson sleeps with a prostitute in Gaza, it's not just a private choice between him and the woman. It goes out and has repercussions everywhere. There's ripples that go out that Samson never even saw. Samson shows us there are consequences to our choices that go far beyond our little itty-bitty lives. The decisions we make today will affect those around us and those that come after us. I'll give you something that's very common in our culture today. Say you got a young couple, okay? They fall in love, and they decide to start sleeping together. But then they're like, they break up because they start to fight, and they don't get married. And then on, so, so after they break up, those decisions of sleeping together are going to affect every relationship they have after that. It's going to affect their future marriage and their future kids and their family. It goes out. Uh, take, take even a larger issue than that. Let's say um, America. America is $18-plus trillion in debt. I really think it's funny that last week the White House spokesperson chides Greece. Like, you guys need to learn how to do it better. We are $18-plus trillion in debt, okay? And, and what happens is we keep spending more than we bring in. Everyone clamors, I want money. Give me this. Give me this. Give me this. Even though the Scripture teaches us we're supposed to be people who work hard and work well. This $18 trillion of debt, it is not just going to affect America. It is going to affect the entire world. And it should matter to us because the scripture teaches us that's how we are supposed to think. Guys, stop voting for people who keep spending more than come in. I don't care what party they're a part of. Stop it. We have to be a people who see things biblically like God calls us to. When you make a decision, have you ever asked how it's going to affect those that come after you? That's how we're supposed to think. Your life is not just a zero-sum game. It extends out, even though our culture hates to talk about those kind of things. I mean, even in churches, we only think most times about ourselves. Oh, I didn't like the sermon, especially this one today. Right? I didn't like that sermon, or I didn't like the songs, or I didn't like the music. My tastes weren't satisfied. Have you ever thought maybe it's not about you? Maybe it's about the generation that's coming after you, the generation that came before you. Look around this room. Find somebody younger than you. I am 44. Okay, so there you go. Put me in the middle. Whatever. I can be... All right, look around. Now, I want you to look around and find somebody who is older than you. Okay? (laughs) Have you ever thought, how are my actions going to affect them? That's how we are supposed to think. We may think, oh, no one's watching me. You know, what, I, what does it matter if I dip my hand in, into the honey and the lion's carcass metaphorically and, and I eat that? Who cares? Nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to know, but it ripples out. When was the last time you thought about the generation after you or the one before you? Because that's how Scripture teaches you to think. Second thing I think we need to understand in the story of Samson is the nature of faith and what it means to be a person of faith. 
Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll show you a crazy thing in Hebrews chapter 11. Because in Hebrews 11, you have a list of people who had all this faith. In our culture, when we hear the word faith, we usually think of belief. Okay? Oh, what do you believe? And you ask people, how do you live out your faith? They can't even give you five things of how they actually live that out. In the scriptures, when you read the word faith, it means faithfulness. It's like actions in present time. How do you live that out? It's why when we look at somebody like Samson, we have all these questions. Well, how did the Spirit of God rest upon that guy? Now, Hebrews 11 actually communicates this idea of the people before us, their expressions of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 32, we just start there. And it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson. What? Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. How does Samson make that list? How does he make that list? Because we have in our minds that faithfulness is always doing it exactly right. Faithfulness is living out our beliefs. We need to live out what we believe, but it doesn't mean we're perfect. When you get through the entire New Testament, you understand that our faith is more important because our faith is in someone. It's in someone. When you read the list of Hebrews 11, you see all these people, and they all had faults, and they all fail. Moses murders a man. David, we're going to look at when we get to this thing called Legends of the Fall. We look at all the bad people in the Bible. David's one of those as well. He sleeps with another man's wife. He has her husband killed. He then marries the woman. Is that going to go on your Match.com profile? <laughs> no. Well, hopefully not. I mean, weirdos, right? Right? Yeah, yet, they're living with faith. And it seems when you understand the New Testament scriptures and what God is constantly doing is faith is remembering God's faithfulness first to us. What does it mean to be a person of faith? 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul speaks of Jesus talking to him. He says, but he, Jesus said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Somehow we have got it in our heads that God can't handle our sin and our failure. We say things like, oh, if I walk in that church, God's going to strike me with lightning or the whole place is going to fall down. We say dumb things like that, like God can't handle it. I will tell you, if Jesus' death and resurrection didn't pay for all of our sins, we are all in serious trouble. We are just all in serious trouble. This is why the gospel is good news. God can handle our sin. God can handle our faults. God can handle our failures. It's why sometimes when we come to God in our failures and in our wounds, we understand him so much better. I mean, when you look at Samson, you will only understand the story of Samson's life in light of the cross. That's the only way it makes sense, that God is the one who is faithful. Every religion is, you come to God, you work hard, you get it right, look how successful you are. That is not the story of Samson. The story of Samson is acknowledge our sins and our failures because that is where we meet Jesus. In the midst of our sins and failures. Henry Nouwen wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. In this book he writes this, People who are in contact with their sins and failures are the best type of healers. This means it's the former addict who can usually talk to another addict and say, Look, this is how you rest in the strength of God even in the midst of this overpowering addiction that you feel. When I am broken and I need to talk to someone, I will call somebody who gets it, who understands what it means to be broken. I will not call the person who says, well, I don't have any problems, sucks to be you. I will not call that guy. I want the guy who understands. See, Jesus comes to our brokenness, in in our brokenness and in our failures. I would say in our Samson moments. I mean, all the times we want to be faithful and we just aren't faithful. 
And this is the good news of the gospel. Can Samson make it into the list of the faithful? I guess so. He did. Which is good news because that means so can you. Because of what he has done. Faithfulness is first and foremost about God's faithfulness first to us. And this is what we as a people who call ourselves believers in Jesus must understand. It is not about our works and our own righteousness and us doing it all right. It is all about him and his faithfulness and his goodness first given to us. When we talk about communion every single week, it's to remind us of this. This is why you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me because we needed it. Because it is not about how good we can be. It is about how good Jesus was to come and rescue and redeem us. This is why when we take communion, we lay lay all of our righteousness at the feet of Jesus. I mean, Tim Keller says this. It's not that we just need to repent of of our sin. We also need to repent of our righteousness. Because our righteousness turns into pride. And we lay it all down there to understand the faithfulness of God. And because of what Jesus did, we get to have a relationship with one another and with God again. All the things that have been destroyed because of what others have done and what we have done have been taken care of in the cross of Christ. And we as a people must understand that. Uh, The band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you to take communion. Uh, There'll be some deacons and elders in the back, and if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you are in a place in your life today, and you just think that you are the most unfaithful and that God can never love you. You're not. You ever tear a goat? You're not Samson. But then don't compare yourself with them either, okay? I mean, we, we need to understand that even though we are full of sins and mistakes and, and messes up, our God is faithful. I mean, there is a huge difference between guilt and shame. Sometimes we do something really stupid. You, you can feel guilt over that. That's okay. But shame is a place where you live every single day. And Jesus never intends for his people to live in a place of shame. We must understand the hope that the faithfulness of a God who loves us has brought into our lives. And if you need to understand that and know that this morning, they would love to pray with you. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving then is simply part of our worship. Uh, so you have the opportunity. We don't pass a plate. Uh, there's food in the back. There, there are no torn goats, just cookies and stuff. <laughs> I know, you're really bummed out. Grab something to eat. Meet some other people. Maybe go through some of the questions that are in the sermon notes and go a little bit deeper and start to talk about your Samson moments and the places where God is faithful and maybe where you're not, but God is still calling you home and redeeming you and and taking all of those things in your life and bringing out beautiful things in the midst of things that you only see horrible garbage in because our God is faithful to redeem all things. And this is what we must remember, especially coming out of the story of Samson. Our God is good. Our God is good, and we should always stand in amazement of that. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who trust you in ways that we can't even fathom, that we would begin to understand your faithfulness to us, that we would get an inkling of the thoughts that you think about us, that we understand that you are faithful to always lead us, that we would know that you are faithful forever and you would help us to understand the difference between guilt and shame so that we wouldn't live in the place we feel like we have no hope because the truth is we have tons of hope because of what you have done and what you continue to do
teach us to trust in your faithfulness and your blessing first given to us and your love first given to us so that we would live in ways that begin to reflect that faithfulness, that we would have faithful lives. But that faithfulness is always simply a reflection of your faithfulness first to us. And that how we do things and what we do is always through the lens of the redemption that you have given to us. Teach us to live in the great hope of your faithfulness. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.